0: The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love, with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. We look at the events that are going on, some of them which are very, very hopeful, but others which are very, very tragic and very sad. And we look at them from the perspective of our Catholic beliefs, our Catholic faith, because we live in the world and we try to live out our faith in the world. We don't live it out merely in church or in prayer groups or in uh, in the celebration of the sacraments. Those are critically essential parts of our Catholic faith. But, you know, we take our lead from Our master, Jesus, when he came among us, yes, he taught in the synagogues and he worshipped in the synagogues. But he also walked the streets and he walked the lands of Palestine, Judea, Galilee. And in doing so, he began, he taught people there and he lived out um, his mission, his guidance, his direction from his father, our father, in the world. And so that's our little perspective that we kind of do from just love. We tend to focus on the church in the world, what's going on there, and try to, you know, make a little bit of sense of it from the values that we bring, our own beliefs. And in addition to trying to make sense of it, we try to understand better what's going on. We look at it and we analyze what's going on. And then we hope that by doing that, we can figure out how we should react to it, how we should live our lives, how we should make our contribution to alleviating some of the things that are wrong, changing the things that do not enhance human dignity. And how can we promote and amplify those things that? do and you know as I say very often on uh, this show I say just love basically just love God just love your neighbor just love yourself and if individually we do those things then the world becomes more just and it becomes more compassionate let me tease out for a little while that word just love and we use that for our show. And we kind of use it because we think it's got two meanings. The word just can only, only love. And we take that meaning of the word just, only love, from some of the teachings of Jesus, which basically says, hey, if you want to know what the entire law and the prophets are based upon, well, love God, love your neighbor. And so when we say just love, we say only love in the way that, Jesus used love as a way to summarize the complexity, the diversity, the richness of his word, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the law, the prophets. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and you kind of sum up everything. So that's why we use just love. Just love and you get the essence, the heart, the core of the Christian message. But At the other time, we use the word just because just also is not merely kind of only, but just, justice, justly, and that justice is a dimension of Christian love. Loving one's neighbor involves justice, making sure that people are treated fairly that people receive what they need, what they are owed in order to live in the dignity of a person made in the image and likeness of God. And so we use the word just to kind of say, that's a part of love. And, you know, love sometimes gets translated as charity You know, if I'm not going to go through the whole uh, history of the word, but you know, sometimes if you go back, love, if you translate that into Latin, caritas, um, which caritas in English can also be translated as charity. So, one of the reasons we call the show just love is because love is not merely about kindness and charity which is an essential part of the role of a disciple of Jesus. But love also involves justice. It involves making sure that each person made in God's image and likeness is treated with dignity and respect. And sometimes it's our culture, sometimes the law, sometimes policies cause people to be treated unfairly unjustly. So if we really love our neighbors as ourselves, then justice is a critical component of love, because we want to make sure that everybody gets what they are owed as made in the image and likeness of God. It's not merely charity, which is also essential, but there's a fundamental part of the way that we order and structure our lives, that wants to make sure that there is the proper order of the world that we live in, and that there is the respecting of what people's rights are, what their responsibilities are. That's what part of justice. So we call our show Just Love to really highlight the fact that while love and charity are very much connected, love and justice is also connected, that justice is a part of the love that we should show to one another. You know, I kind of have rambled on here for a while. And, um, you know, Tom knows this far better than I. So let me, so Tom, let me say to you, um, what did I leave out? What did I get wrong? What, What correction do you want to give to our listeners about my rambling so that they kind of have a little bit of understanding of why we use the phrase, just love. I think you, 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 you hit the nail on the head. I thought I liked the way that you began, how, you know, when we wind up talking about just love, I always think that's important that, you know, when you said only love, I like the way you end up setting that up. But at the same time, we have to remember that, you know, when we wind up talking about love, we are also talking about creating, if we would love people, we're talking about creating a society that's worthy of the dignity of the human person. And so I think from that perspective, I think that you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it's not, as we always say about Catholic social teaching, it's not either or, it's both and. So when we say just love, we only love our neighbors. But we also, because we only love our neighbors with all our heart and all our souls, we try to make the world a better place. So I think, I don't think it was rambling once here. I think you did a great job. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Tom. Um, your paycheck goes up. Traffic. Hey, that. <laughs> that is, that is okay, so Tom, now we have to deal with something—a tremendous, tremendous, kind of tragedy that has plagued that is that that our world experienced um, with in the past couple of weeks. Um, the tragedy of the nineteen innocent children and the two teachers um, who were uh, massacred in in Uvalde, Texas. And Tom, thank you so much for, um, for uh, having, we're gonna have two parishioners from the local parish there, but they also bring a professional kind of expertise in the area of thinking about and, and of counseling and psychology and, and and the impact that that can have. So I am very, very pleased uh, That we have in this to deal with this tragic situation. Uh, Two guests on Just Love today, Dr. Hector Gonzalez and Jacqueline Gonzalez um, from Uvalde, Texas. Um, Thank you so much for for being with us on Just Love. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's a
0: pleasure. Yeah. And and so, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't begin by you know expressing you know my prayers my condolences um for what um what the people of uvalde are are going through um, you know uh, i i don't mean to um, <clears throat> to force you to relive the 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 horror of it but for the sake of those of us who uh were not close by kind of tell us a little bit re- recount for us just what happened what was going on there so that we have a framework where we talk about some of the things that we're going to talk about with you
2: well uh, as you may know from the news you know our, our community is about 60 miles from the the u.s mexico border and it, it's been commonplace you know uh, in the recent months that we would have uh High speed chases in our community from from uh, uh, illegal immigrants coming across and those carrying them across, and the the school and the community had been uh, accustomed to you know lockdowns as these chases come through and they stop them somewhere in town and everybody bails out and, and the schools go on lockdown. Our school goes on lockdown. We have businesses that go on lockdown. So th- there's been various lockdowns. You know it. In, in recent months. And, you know, initially, I think that was the response from the community is like, oh, it's just another chase, you know? Um, and it happened right, you know, at, uh, at noontime. And, and I remember, I recall sitting in my office and, and my wife texted me and said, you know, this, this is going on. There's, a, there's an active shooter on, on, on one of the campuses. And, and then, you know, my staff informed me as well uh, I, I put out an, an immediate text to both the Superintendent and the police and said, We're here to help if we need something, uh, whatever we can help today or tomorrow.
1: We were pretty far from the campus though, and I mean, our daughter's at home. she just graduated and so from another school district. Um, so ours was kind of detached from the event. I mean, we just experienced it kind of through um, through text from other people. But I tell you what, I think the the most um, jarring of it was I was taking my daughter to drive into San Antonio and I, um, and I'm going to cry because it was, it was hard. Um, We didn't know it was that bad. And when I saw all the law enforcements coming in and I mean, there was like a charter of medical people coming in, a charter bus full of them. There's, you know, SWAT cars coming in stop the whole way and we just started doing the rosary, you know, we just started doing the rosary, started posting online for people to pray. But it was it was really hard because we didn't realize it was going to be that bad. And um it like my husband said, you know, they they um it was always like, oh, okay, lockdown, they clear it, everything's fine. And I mean I've even gone and locked down at my house by myself before and it is kind of scary because you don't know if anybody's gonna show up but this time it was not that type of incident. So that was the tough part about it was just seeing the reaction of all the people coming in and knowing that it was real and just imagining that all of those children were locked in there.
2: And, and throughout the day, you know, we got, I got updates. I guess it was one 30 or so that, that I was getting an update and they mentioned to me, "Are there's reports of, you know, two children that were shot. And you know I could not finish that phone call without breaking down and crying it It just broke my heart to find out that two children got shot and of course, throughout the day it grew to four it grew through eight and then you know at five thirty six o'clock you know the the realization that you know so many so many children were 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 killed in the incident it was it was just heartbreaking it was it was hard to comprehend you know so so much carnage, you know, and, and and so callous uh event that it, it really, you know, that afternoon it, the the entire community was in shock. Was really in shock. And and my wife and I went to the 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 reunion center there at, the, at our civic center and it was it was heartbreaking because the, the parents that were left there were the parents that hadn't hadn't been reunited with their
0: Their
1: their their children children. were considered missing and they really weren't. They were just, they weren't missing. They weren't identifiable. And so the reason they couldn't connect them to their parents is because they didn't know what the child looked like because it was that bad for them. It didn't.
0: Yeah, that is, that is just so, um, you mentioned Jacqueline that you were, I think you mentioned you were kind of driving to San Antonio with your daughter. Yes, how old's your daughter?
1: She's eighteen, and you know honestly, this is the first time I let her drive and yeah. um i'm a I'm a big time Rosary prayers. So I pray online and pray with big communities, and <laughs> I just i mean I really went to work on my rosary, yeah. and I was just praying the hardest I've ever prayed, and I even prayed for that shooter that he would know God's love and stop yeah.
0: yeah. It's um no, I can I and mean, it is obvious um how difficult it is. We're speaking with Dr. Hector Gonzalez and Jacqueline Gonzalez, uh, both uh mental health um, professionals um and members of Sacred Heart Parish in Uvalde, Texas, and we're just getting a sense of how difficult and, and intense the the um the the day was. When all of those deaths um, deaths happened um, and their experience of that, um, let me ask a question um, that really doesn't have any answer. So it's a it's a question of frustration. Is um, what do we do about this? I mean, you know, I mean, I I know it doesn't have an answer, but it, but I the the, the question just won't go away from me. Like, like, what do we do? I mean, I think, and I, I guess there's two, two parts to that obviously, um, what do we do with the families and the other children in the school and there in terms of how do they move on? I mean, we've heard talk about maybe some people saying the building itself should be demolished, should be taken down. So I guess my question is to what do we do? What do we do with the families, the people who still need to be educated there deal with it? And then maybe what do we do as a, as a society to, with regard to this? So I'm sorry, uh, those are unfair questions. So answer them in any way you like and in any order that you you would like your insights. I would be very, very happy to hear. And I know our listeners would.
1: So. You know, it's interesting. I have a a Rosary Crusade group. It's called Rosary Crusade on Facebook. And one of the members posted, Yuvaldi Strong, what does that mean? And I thought about it. I said, what does that mean? I said, you know what it means? It means that we bind together as a community. It means that we have to help. It means that we right now have to come together and offer resources. And it means like just reaching out to them and calling them and talking to them and saying, we're here for you and you're not alone. That's what it means. And I think that there is a lot of obviously healing that's going to have to happen, but it can take years and years and years. It's not going to be anything that, you know, it's going to happen over the summer and everything's going to be better. It's it's going to take time. And um, so I think that that's how I, what I was thinking about today was how, how are we valdi strong? Uvalde strong is by community, by our unity, by Um, seeing the needs of our children and saying, we're going to answer them. Let's figure it out. How are we going to do that together as a community? And what we've noticed is it's about, it's not necessarily um, us maybe contacting the the child, but it's about giving the parent or the families that support that family support. So it's like a, a chain of support, where it's from the outside in, you know, where it starts larger and it trickles down until it eventually gets to the child. And that's what I think that we have to do is as community members, we just have to help build community, help infuse love of one another, love.
0: Jacqueline, thank you for that. Um, So, let me um so let me kind of pursue that ask you a little bit of of a follow up with with that um, so how do we support a family? what does i mean uh, it's tragic that you know that those nineteen children were um were were killed but i I suspect there were you know, hundreds of other children who were in the school who didn't. uh, What does a parent say to them? What does a parent say to somebody in another classroom? What what support do we give to those parents? And how should they talk about this with their kids?
1: It's. I know it's a very tough conversation. It really is. Um, The way I see it is you listen, you connect with one another, you allow them to say their story, allow them to cry, allow them to have emotion and be okay with it and just sit there and be okay with it. Um, We live, we gotta go on and let our kids live and still enjoy moments and not be afraid to have joy still and say, "Let's, let's do something, you know, let's do something fun gets a little sad it's okay let's it's okay to be sad a little bit and I'm not saying okay maybe the sadness is a lot right now I'm sure the days are wearing on of sadness but we got to come up for air and it might mean go for a ride and get a coke you know go for a ride and get an ice cream together as a family or have a barbecue you know get out and be let people just let the kids be kids you know and um, yes, it's a tragic, oh, don't get me wrong. It's it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away that easy. But we have to have like a, a way to say, okay, let's flip over to some happiness right now. Let's, it's okay to experience some good right now too, um, to play a little, to watch a movie, you know, watch something fun. And, and then it's, it's also okay just to sit with them and hug them. Mm. And if they cry and they're sad, and a parent doesn't know what to say, you say, you know what, I'm sad too. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. I wish that it didn't happen to you. I wish I could change it. And I think that's the hardest part for a parent, because when you see your child suffering that way, all you wanted and all those parents wanted was to go run in there and take them out. And everywhere, I'm sure parents all over the state of Texas, everywhere is on on edge thinking I gotta go take my kids out. We take the safety precautions that we can and we hope that they make changes, you know what necessary for safety. But as a parent, we love them, we hug them. And we also tell them, I'm sorry it happened to you. I love you though, I love you. And I'm sorry, I wish I could have taken take it away, I can't though. And if a parent has to cry, they cry. That's real. It's normal to cry about this right now.
0: It's normal. Hmm. We're speaking with Jacqueline Gonzalez and uh, Dr. Hector Gonzalez about the tremendous tragedy in uh, Evalde, uh, Texas, at Robb Elementary School. You know, Jacqueline. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I think what 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 you've you've just said is is something that. I kind of periodically say in situations um, and again, I don't mean to make light of it, but you, but you kind of said, well, you know, it's okay to, to laugh. It's okay to do it even in the midst of tragedy. Um, My very, I'm not a professional psychologist or anything. So my simple solution to life's tragedies is, we can always have ice cream, you know, yeah. in the worst of situation there's a, I'm sorry for those who are lactose intolerant. OK, but but um, but in the worst of situations is there's, there's ice cream is usually not a bad thing to interject in a in a situation. Absolutely.
1: You know, um, it's kind of um I used to do this to my daughter all the time when I knew something was bothering her and she didn't necessarily want to talk to me about it. We go for a ride. I said, let's go for a ride. Well, guess what? Now I have her trapped in the car with me and you know, we'll get an ice cream or a drink and she's behind me. Kids don't like to make eye contact with you, you know, so they want, they don't want to see your reaction to things. And so, um, you know, I just started asking her questions and little by little, she's just an open book back there. Cause she's no longer seeing my reaction and we're we're relaxing in the car, and we'll go for a ride. You know, listen to music. Um, she didn't know I was getting things out of her when I took those rides with her. And <laughs> I also, of course, I mean, she's my daughter. I gotta you you know your child. That's the other thing. As a parent, you know your child. I used to pick my daughter up from school. The minute she got in the back seat, I knew something was up. I was like, what, "What's going on?" You know, I would just get the sense. I'm like, "Okay, what's happening?" nothing, mom, nothing. And I'm like, okay, well, when you're ready, let's talk about it. And, um, but then I also do, even with my daughter, I mean, of course I do this in therapy too, but I do this with her play therapy. I just bring out, you know, some Play-Doh or color, build something, put something in your hands and you'd be surprised how fast kids open up just with something in their hands, you know, just to release some stress. It's a stress reliever. It helps them relax. Mm -hmm.
0: So, so Dr. Gonzalez, you, you know, had a, a, a college, um, you know, you're, you know, one of your focuses is on, you know, how do organizations do the right thing? How do they lead? So Jacqueline has spoken to us very, very movingly about supporting individual in that situation. But we got a problem as a society. We have a problem across the board, what should institutions like Southwest Texas Junior College and all of our other, what, do we, what should we be thinking about and focusing on kind of society-wise with our institutions?
2: Certainly. So, so we have a responsibility as, as community leaders, as, as a leader of institutions, to help uh, inform policy, to help uh, bring awareness to our, our other local leaders about uh, what systematic changes need to occur uh, in the long term, about what some of the unmet needs in the response are, and and try to fill those gaps. Uh, reaching out to to my contacts with the uh, Department of Ed, with state and national levels, with our legislative uh, uh, representative, and sharing you know those those needs, those concerns, because. It it goes beyond. There's not a single solution. There's not a single solution to the to these problems, or even to the response to this tragedy. It, it's it's a multi pronged approach. Um, on a micro scale, you know what what my institution is doing is you know we're providing logistical support for all these response teams that have joined our community. We're a small community. There's maybe four or five hotels. That are booked, so we we used uh, unused dorms and you know housed law enforcement, we've housed counselors, we've housed nurses that provided backup to our hospital. Uh, and, and then going forward, we're, we're looking at building a, what we, we're terming a kid's college, uh, a day camp, so to speak, for children uh, primarily, you know, uh, focusing first on that Rob elementary age, the second through fourth grade, and give them some activities, some learning opportunities and embedded with mental health support for them, you know, throughout the camp a week, two week long camp where they can come in and just be kids again. You know, it's very important that they feel comfortable with being kids and doing kids stuff. And, and very equally important is having those, you know, mental health professionals there available should the need arise for them. If they, if they determine that, you know, they want to say something, they, they need to talk to somebody. We have that there for them. Like, just like grief, everyone deals with grief differently. Uh, people will come to mental health, the realization that they want to talk or need mental health at different times. And we have a ton of resources here, you know, the initial week, two weeks, but those begin to taper off. And we need to look at this from a long-term perspective and have those resources available for five years, you know, and so when when that individual, whether it be a parent, uh, a student, or somebody from the community, because like I said, this community is tightly woven It impacted the entire community. It really did. Uh, You'd be hard-pressed to find an individual in this community that didn't know someone that was directly impacted. And either a coworker, a a friend, a neighbor, uh, it it really, you know, tore through our community. And and we, as leaders, need to do our part and ensure that we have these resources, this systematic change, these processes to support them uh, in the long term.
0: So let me let me ask you one other community-wide question, and I'm I'm not asking a question of blame. I'm not asking that. I'm asking for you who are in that community just to share with me the feelings of the community, because you know one of the things that Jacqueline you mentioned we need to bind together. We need community. We need unity. And again, I'm thousands of miles away in New York. But one of the things we heard, which I'm asking you because I don't know if it's true, we heard a little bit of expressions by members of the community of of anger toward the police and their response. I'm not taking sides in this, but I'm just wondering, was that the media hyping it? Or is there a a sense in the community that, that things didn't go the way that they should have? Yes,
1: I mean, definitely. I mean, what's rocked here more than anything is safety and trust. You know, someone broke into the school, broken safety and trust is the very, very beginning. And now all of this other, this investigation, we've been misled in so many ways, you know, and and I don't even say we, those parents, you know, they've been misinformed. And I think that as a parent, I can tell you that that's, that's the most, you know, disheartening thing for a parent to have because you leave a child at school and you want to say I feel safe for them I I can trust them and I can trust that they're going to give me the right information it and I think at this point I don't think it should be difficult I mean we've got so many technologies we've got videos we've got 911 calls we've got so many you know that I think that it would be um (laughs) in order to be, be more, to be more transparent is what I would say. I don't know everything out in the media. In fact, we've tried to not pay attention to too much of that. I sometimes just hear more from family members. Um, but I know that just here from the families I talk to, they don't have answers. They don't know. And and it's scary because guess what? In a few months, they're going back to school and we got to trust again. We've got to feel safe again. And, In all honesty, in my therapy, when somebody's going, you know, having issues, I say, call the police. You have to trust the police. They're going to do what they need to do. And I don't know if I can say that to someone from here right now because I don't know if they're going to have that. And if anything, that's what, if they just need to be honest and come out and say, you know what, some mistakes were made. We're sorry. But I don't think right now they're in protection mode and they're protecting Mm -hmm. themselves and we're losing sight of the children and the, and the fact that we didn't have 21 victims. We have 600 or 700, 800, all the school, all the kids that were impacted. There was 600, 500 in that school alone, 500 mm-hmm. kids. And so these are the people that are still here that need answers.
2: As, as a leader, I, you know, there's so so many missed opportunities to communicate and 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 not have this erosion of trust Uh, in in a meeting earlier this week I, I expressed my concern to to the leader local leaders that you know we don't know the facts you know we don't know the facts but for all of us perception is reality and the perception is that stuff didn't happen that should have happened and that's the only perception that we have so that is our reality right now and I implored them to address the issue, uh, not, I don't know what the answer is, but the longer we go, the the more erosion of trust from the community with our law enforcement, and that's a bad thing, we need law enforcement need to them. keep law and order, and we depend on them for so many things, and, and when, when you have a community, a, a growing sense within a community that you know, I don't know if I can trust law enforcement, you know, are they going to be able to solve this? And and when you have that, you know, growing, that's not good for the community as a whole. We need to reverse that trend and, and that trust needs to be earned again.
0: Okay. Jacqueline Gonzalez, Dr. Hector Gonzalez, really, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your kind of firsthand experience of the community of Uvalde and and the terrible tragedy and the pain and the ongoing hurt and the recovery that's needed. I our listeners have been blessed to kind of hear of your experience and so thank you so much for taking the time to to join our listeners on on Just Love. I'm I'm just very very grateful. Again, uh, Jacqueline, you talked about the rosary, whatever one. Uh, whatever one's favorite prayers are, know that our prayers are with you uh, in this moment and with with the community. Thank you for joining us on Just Love.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for
0: having me. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor and just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more um, compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel. Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who is here right now. Take it away, Monsignor.
2: Stab a sorry heart with your favorite finger. Paint the whole world blue and stop your tears from stinging. Hear the cavemen singing Good news they're bringing.
0: Welcome back to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. Tom Dobbins lines up for us. Very, very good guest. You want to make sure that we can be heard. And um, this week we're speaking about um, some things which are incredibly tragic. We spoke about the, um, the massacre in Uvalde, Texas. And we also um, are now going to kind of shift. And I'm delighted that kind of she's joining us again on Just Love, Marion Botasio, who is our chief of staff here at Catholic Charity. She is the corporate secretary of the board. And Marion, we're going to speak with Marion about a couple of, of different topics uh, today. One is... Um, you know sometimes things go out of uh, our, our awareness and you know we've been focused a lot on what's going on in Afghanistan and the the tragic end to that situation there last August I believe it was and we're focused and what's going to sp- speak some more uh, next week about the ongoing um, war in the Ukraine but, there are there are other countries that are experiencing tremendous difficulties and tremendous um, struggles that we shouldn't uh, over, overlook. And uh, in addition to that, but sometimes countries and celebrate um, you know longstanding you know traditions. And so <clears throat> we're going to speak with Marion both about the celebration of the 70th anniversary of Queen Elizabeth in England, but we're also gonna speak about some of the struggles and some of the situations uh, in Sri Lanka. And if we remember a couple of years ago, there was a tragic bombing of a church that was, that was there, uh, which I believe if my memory serves me well, was actually on Easter, Easter Sunday. A very, very tragic event. So, um, so, Marion, thank you so much for, for joining us on Just Love.
3: Thanks, Monsignor. Thanks for having me.
0: So, you know, quite frankly, I think if you kind of did a blind test, and you said to people, okay, name 10 countries in the world. My bet is that for most people in the United States, Sri Lanka would not make the the top ten. It's not in their awareness of that. And I know this is not true, but for those who maybe know a little bit more, they might say, "Oh yeah, isn't that that little island off India, some you know, someplace?" So why don't you give our um, give our listeners a little bit of a more accurate um, awareness of of Sri Lanka? And at some point, you can tie it into the um, to the 70th anniversary of of the reign of Queen Elizabeth, but but first, why don't you tell us a little bit about Sri Lanka, a little bit of its history, and and and, and that situation? Then we'll talk about what's going on there today. Sure. Oh,
3: well, thanks again for having me on uh, to talk about uh, both Sri Lanka and uh, and the Queen's Jubilee. Um, so you're absolutely right. Most people don't know too much about Sri Lanka, and, and Uh, They think it's an island off the coast of India, which it is, in fact, (laughs) an island off the coast of India, Um, a small island. It's uh, got about 22 million people who live on the on the island. Uh, It's about. I think it's like 0.6 percent, 0.67 percent the size of the United States. It's about sixty five thousand kilometers. And so that's smaller than New York state, to give you a sense. Um, So pretty, pretty small, as you think, uh, as you think about topography and geography. It's 60 kilometers from, from the south coastline of, of India. Um, we got our independence uh, uh, in 1948, February 4th of 1948 from the United Kingdom. Uh, it's a pretty young country when you look at the demographic um, and that's a really positive thing for the country. Uh, it's a multi-ethnic country. It's, uh, it's There are Sri Lankans who lived there generationally, um, but they're also... Uh, An ethnic population called Sri Lankan Tamils, uh, who are essentially descendants of South Indians uh, who live in the northern part of the island. Uh, It's also a uh, multi-religious country. Uh, The predominant uh, religious population are Buddhists. They're about 70 percent Buddhists in Sri Lanka. Uh, A minority Hindu population, about 12.5 percent of the population are Hindu. There's a Muslim population as well, about 10% of the population practice Islam, and the smallest religious minority are Christians, about 7.5% Christian population, most of whom are Catholics. Um, The the country has a long history from 6th century BC, (laughs) Um, and it enjoyed uh, what was a bit of a tenuous reign under the Dutch, the Portuguese, and then finally the British, Uh, but was one of the last countries to leave the Commonwealth seeking independence in 1948. So there, there were a lot of ethnic, a lot of the ethnic conflict that, that was exacerbated. So so Marion, I
0: I need to, you know, I, I kid you all the time about uh, your having been born in, in England or the United Kingdom. Um, So, so, so Sri Lanka is not even part of the Commonwealth? So it
3: was a part of the Commonwealth, right? I mean, it was a a part of the British Commonwealth and it sought independence in 1948. Okay. It still participates in the Commonwealth Games, but it was part of the British Empire. Um,
0: So when did it, but but at one point, wasn't it also a colony?
3: Yes, yes. So when did It, it
0: move from colony to country and then independence?
3: So it became independent in 1948.
0: Oh, okay. okay. Yeah.
3: So it, okay. and and when it it was called Ceylon until 1948, and you know when um, it became independent in 1948, it was referred to as Ceylon, the British term. Um, yeah. And it, actually, the country changed its name to Sri Lanka in 1972.
0: Okay. Um, okay. So um, yeah. So so now it now it has no connection with the United Kingdom with Britain.
3: It. If you're looking at a relationship between Sri Lanka and England, you'd say it was part of the Commonwealth.
0: Okay. So I mean like like Canada and like Australia? Exactly. Okay. So the Queen is actually head of state? No. Because we're
3: independent. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. But I think she's head of state of, of Canada and Australia.
3: That may very well be, but she's yeah. not head of state okay. of Sri Lanka, yeah. so maybe there's some special commonwealth.
1: Okay.
0: So, um, right there. yeah. Okay. So, tell us a little bit about the um, um what what are the, some of the current issues that are the the socio issue, economic issues, some of the uh, issues there um, um, with with Sri Lanka today.
3: Yeah, I mean, so there, the situation in Sri Lanka is pretty dire at the moment. Um. The country's defaulted on its uh, on foreign debt uh for the first time in its its history <laughs> since independence obviously and it owes about fifty billion dollars in debt to sovereign bondholders including India China, and japan and the country is in the worst economic situation it's been in in its history um, People are having a hard time finding food uh there's no fuel to be bought um the political situation is is pretty dire as well with complete distrust in the government uh, which has been a, a nepotistic government you know for the last several years um so that it, it is a very dire situation um and it's a dangerous situation just for the region I think uh, given the instability in the world in that part of the world these days having any country that's um that's in this kind of of dire straits is is not good. So,
0: um, let me for the sake of our our listeners and and for me too. Um, uh, you mentioned the default on on the debt which is a very which is a very troubling and uh, situation. But uh, I, Sri Lanka over its history, I mean the recent history of the past, you know, 50 75 years has not been one of the Poorer countries of the world. I mean, it has had a, um, you know, relatively uh, an economy that could sustain most of its population. Am I right in that? Yeah, that's absolutely
3: correct, I mean Senior. I mean, the country has been, if not the top, in the top five countries performing in, in South Asia in yeah. terms of economic stability, and it was it moved out of the IMF category of being a least economically developed country to. So what happened? So what yeah. happened? <laughs> Great question. So I think it was a confluence of different factors. Um, political and excessive control of power in the executive presidential uh, branch, uh, economic overspending, so really bad policy decisions that were made in terms of the economic situation of the country. And I really just, I mean, I have to say incompetence, right? I mean, it was total incompetence in terms of how the government has managed the, the situation in the country. Um, so, I mean, so when you just briefly as by way of an overview and when, when talking about political corruption or executive presidential overreach in the Sri Lankan constitution is such that there has been, there has been a pretty decent democratic uh, government in Sri Lanka for, for several years. You know, the constitution has allowed for good sharing of, of a balance of power. Um, but in the not so distant past, uh, There's a kind of a political family that came into power in Sri Lanka that essentially has remained in power for the past couple of decades. And <laughs> since uh, since the 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 civil war ended, and the name of the family is the Rajapaksa family. It's basically our P- Sri Lankan political dynasty. Um, and one of the Rajapaksa's ran uh, for president and won twice, uh, serving as president of the country, and then actually changed the constitution to run a third time and lost. And that was in in 2018. Um, At that time in in April of 2019, the Easter bombing attacks took place. And there's quite a bit of controversy and and, uh, concern about how much the Rajapaksa government who were in charge at the time knew about those bombings. And actually, Cardinal Malcolm Ranjith, who's the Cardinal Archbishop of Colombo, has been trying to bring attention to this um, so the fact of the matter is the Indian government did warn the uh, Rajapaksa government that these attacks were going to happen and, um, and that the government should be aware. But that information was never disseminated to, uh, to the parties that were affected. And it was kept very much as part of it. the theory is and, and the suspicion is that it was kept very much internal baseball uh, to the military and, and, uh, and the Rajapaksa government at the time.
0: Um, so, Marion, um, I appreciate this, and one of the reasons you know, I'm delighted that you you kind of are on is because, you know, in the United States, we we tend to be a little bit focused, and I mean, everybody in the United States probably understands, or they're they're at least aware of the dire economic situation in Haiti, because it's it's relatively nearby, but I think it's important that we raise up other parts of the world, and so. Marion, thank you for sharing, um, sharing those insights and making us more aware that we need to be more global in our thinking about situations that are there. And, you know, that, that Sri Lanka is one of those places which, um, which needs the world's attention in trying to, um, to be supportive and trying to make things better. But I'm not going to let you get off by just a very quick, we only have a minute or two left, but so give me your reflections, or give our listeners your reflections, because I think I know what they are on this um, Nona Jerrian who is celebrating um, seven, 70 years in that <clears throat> non democratic position of the Queen of England.
3: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm obviously a huge fan. Um, uh, She's the longest reigning monarch, surpassing even her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria. Um, I think we can learn a lot from the Queen's 70-year reign, uh, particularly today. We all live in a really uh, tenuous time, um, difficult times coming out of pandemic, dealing with the crisis in Ukraine, food shortages across the world. Um, I think that the faith with which her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has conducted her, her deep faith, deep and abiding faith in how she brings that to the way that she has executed her duties as sovereign and monarch and the way that she has brought that faith into her family, you know, passed that down um, in difficulties within their own family. Um, I think, so her, I think her faith is a real model to us uh, and her dignity and her grace and commitment to that, to be a leader in good times and in bad times. Uh, so I, I think we can learn a lot from her. As a person of a deep faith, so have you been? Theater. Have you
0: been kind of watching or following any of the celebrations? You
3: know, it, I've been watching today a little bit. I work for this organization called Catholic Charities, and so I, during the day, I don't get to kind of like check check a lot of stuff like this. I'm pretty much, you know, focused on my job, which is takes <laughs> all consuming, but senior. But you, I have followed a bit today. Celebrations in England are, have been pretty amazing. I'm hearing from my family in, in London that. Uh, you know thousands of people have come out to Hyde Park to celebrate, so it's a jubilant time and it's a historic so moment.
0: So I know you will you'll you'll not be surprised that that um, the thing that caught my attention, which did catch most of the media's attention, is that Prince Louis stole the show in in kind of viewing the parade. they There must have been hundreds of pictures of his antics in kind of looking just looking like any four-year-old boy should look when he's at a big event uh he was just delight delightful so um anyway but thank you so much marion uh and thanks for taking the time to kind of kind of share share with us
3: thanks Ben uh, Senior.
0: just love just love god just love your neighbor just love yourself our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate We'll be back in a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. I thank you for being with us on Just Love and join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.